2: It is Friday, September 23rd, 2022. And it is indeed a heck of a morning. Live on the MMA Fighting Twitter space, you can hear the show shortly thereafter on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. Thanks for joining us. I am Mike Heck. Hope you're all having a wonderful Friday so far. The dog is all sorts of excited. So there you go. Go explore. Absolutely nothing happening in that shirt. There you go. So there you go, another auspicious start to the program. Shiloh wants to get involved, and you guys can get involved as well because it is a free-for-all Friday, which means the gloves are off, the hair is back, we can talk about MMA, we can talk about the MMA media space, we can talk about whatever the hell you want to talk about. And we're going to have some fun with this. doesn't have to be, if it's MMA-related, it doesn't have to be the Bellator card, it could be anything. Talk about 280, 281, anything and everything. So let's get into this thing. A lot of people lined up, and I don't really have a monologue or anything. So let's just go to Boss. Boss will kick us off. Boss, hello. Make sure you unmute.
3: Yeah, I'm doing, Mike? You all right? Yes, sir. How are you? Yeah, doing? good, man. Good, man. Um, I've got a question. Um, it's uh, regarding Habib. Uh, so basically, I want to know. I know he's um, he's never really moved up in weight. His natural weight, they say, is obviously welterweight because uh, he walks around uh, a lot higher than he is, and he's obviously struggled to cut weight. I mean, how would you, how do you think he would uh, you know do that welterweight? You know, for the likes of you know uh, Kobe and Usman, and you know even even the likes of even GSP in his prime. Um
1: that's just my question really.
2: That's I mean that's a really good question. Uh I think he would be just as dominant at 170. I think he'd beat Usman. I think he would beat Colby. I think he'd beat a lot of guys. He's just he's just that good. And the the scary thing about Habib, at least in my opinion, was he was actually getting better. When he left the sport, he was getting better. And that is super scary. And we've talked about similar questions on, I think, BTL. Certain things like Jed and I have done over the last couple of years, and we are both convinced. Like, not even just he'd, he'd have a great run at 170. We, like, we wholeheartedly believe he would have a great one one great run at 185. If you, like, if you gave Habib, if Habib right now said, "Hey, I am coming back to fight." one year from now, and I'm going to fight at 185 for the middleweight title. I would pick him to beat Israel Adesanya right now. And I wouldn't really hesitate. It's just the Habib style is just insane. And it's just one of those guys where if he gets his hands on you, you're going down, you're going for a ride. You cannot, it is so difficult to defend his takedowns. And like, he's such a strong guy. Like he's just ridiculous. And with the evolution of his game, with everything he's done from a coaching aspect, if you gave this guy a year to like just get back in fight shape, put on a little size, he would he would give fits at one seventy and one eighty five in my opinion. But I love that question. I think but I think he'd beat pretty much everybody at one seventy right now. Cause he's that good. I just think that highly of him as a as a competitor. Let's go to Via Ravens.
4: Hello. 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 Um, I was wondering if you had to pick three fights out of UFC history to show someone that's never seen mixed martial arts, what would those three fights be? Man. These questions are
2: always like so tough on the spot, but uh, number one on my list almost always is Robbie Lawler versus Carlos Condit. That is... One of my favorite fights of all time. It probably is my favorite fight of all time. That's the one I'm going with. Ninety nine percent of the time, I would go with. Man, two and three are always super tough because there's so many. Because I'm trying to like figure out a new fan, like, a, what would a new fan like that has no idea what's going on? I would show them, like, and I know this is kind of recent, but I would show them. I would show them Glover to versus Yuri Prahashka because you will never see a fight with that many swings in it. You haven't seen it before and you probably won't see it again anytime soon. It's just, it was such an, emo- an emotional roller coaster ride because of all the swings. One minute, it seemed like Yuri's about to win. Glover would reverse everything. And then Glover would take his back and almost have him submitted and Yuri would fight out of it. Like, what a sick fight! That's just one of those just knockdown dragout fights, and the other one I think is just spectacular is, hmm. I'll go with Jose Aldo versus Chad Mendes too, just off the top of my head. I love that fight from UFC 179. Awesome fight doesn't get talked about enough. Those are just the three off the top of my head, but Condit Lawler. UFC 195 January 2016 that one was unbelievable and I still to this day and I will I will sing it from the rooftops Carlos Condit should have been the UFC welterweight champion that night he won that fight the fifth round was insane but that was one of the best rounds you'll ever see but I thought Carlos Condit got 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 hosed. He should be. He should have been the champion. The fact that we still talk about Carlos Condit and his career and everything that man accomplished, but never was the undisputed welterweight champion, kind of hurts my soul a little bit. But definitely my favorite fight ever. Let's go to Jose. Jose, hello. Hey, how's it going, Mike? Good morning. What's up, man? <clears throat> I got a couple questions, and I, I
5: first have to say, man, I disagree so much with the beat Tick, but I respect it because I mean he's. Undefeated. But um, I got a question regarding Tamaev. He recently just tweeted out uh, 185. And I just want to know, is it possible that we see the Costa matchup in your eyes? And um, in addition to that, because of Costa's, like, recent vocalness, I think it was more so last year um, about, you know, his contract situation and him, I think he only has one fight left on his deal. Is it possible that we get that matchup? Or do you think the UFC would try to kind of undercut the... The matchmaking there, and not give us what I think we all want at this point. I think everyone kind of saw <laughs> the whole Costa situation on uh, the MMA Hour uh, the other day, which was hilarious, by the way. If you haven't seen it, you got to go check it out. But uh, yeah, that's my thoughts. I just wanted to know what you thought.
2: So yeah, if you guys missed it, have tweeted out 185. So my initial thought was because I've been in this MMA space a long time, and I understand how. Fighters use social media, especially the ones with a lot of buzz and attention. Sometimes you just say things because you know people are going to react to them. So, I don't know. I, like, I don't know what's real and what isn't. But let's just play the game. Let's just say he's going to 185. He's fighting at 185. I think the Costa one's super easy to make. I think it's just the easiest fight you can put together right now. And there's really nobody else at the moment, because everybody else is booked. So I think Costa is going to be ready like early next year, from all indications, with uh, the hand injury and everything that, that he's dealing with right now. So that would be a hell of a fight to put on that Rio card, put Costa there against Hamza Jamaev, who's already like public enemy number one, and then you put him in Brazil. Oh my gosh, the storyline's there. So the UFC will probably look at this in two in in two ways. One is they will look to extend Paulo Costa. They will look to find a happy medium of what Costa wants, what he thinks is fair, and try to make everybody happy. Or if Paulo Costa wants to play hardball and not resign or and just kind of bet on himself, I mean, I. I I like Paulo. I, the, the, the incredible baby face turn he's made over the last year or so has been incredible. But, I mean, come on. What Like, what's the opening line on that fight going to be? Shemaev minus 500, probably. Like, I just, I think Shemaev just runs him over. And it's not, like, it's not an indictment on Costa. It's just, this is how much I, this is just how good I think Shemaev is. And I think Shemaif at 185 is just is just a whole different guy. Like he's not dealing with that insane weight cut. So I think he'll have a little bit more gas in the tank. I think his strength will transfer over just fine to 185. And I think he can just ragdoll Paul Costa. So but what I would like like if you're gonna do that fight, let's just say I don't know what they're gonna what they're gonna headline that card with. But five round do do it as a five round co main event. Definitely do that. Just, to, I mean, just to see, like, what what happens if this fight gets extended, which I don't think it will. But yeah, and then Shamaya from Brazil, the reaction he'll get. I mean, that is a hell of a story right there. So I think it's a super easy fight to make, and I think the UFC can look at it in two ways. They could try to keep Costa and extend his deal, or if Costas like doesn't want to play ball, then they, it's not the same impact of what the UFC wanted to do with Nate Diaz, but they could still send Cost out on a pretty dominant loss, and that's kind of how they would view it. So, yeah, it's right there. It's the easiest fight to make, so do it. But we'll see. Who knows if he's
6: actually going to 185. Terrence, what's up, buddy? Hey, Mike. How are you? Happy Friday. Good. You too. Um, I want to ask about um, a hypothetical. It's three questions, but they're real quick. So one would be, who would be more inclined to actually have relatives as champions first? The, the Margaret Meadow family or the Edwards family? That's the first question. Um, the second one would be, what do we do with Horiguchi, being that he's fighting at Rising this weekend, which I know we're not talking about as much, but it's something that needs to be talked about. Um, because he would be out of the conversation at Bellator for a long time. Does he just stay taking fights in Ryzen to build his um, rep back up, take fights at Bellator, do both? Um, should they make a 125 division for him and just build it around him? I know he hasn't fallen that class in a while, but you saw his size difference uh, before, and I think that's something he's going to deal with for the rest of his time at Bellator. And then the last thing would be um, what show, being that we're coming up on fall, what's your favorite fall show or your fall movie ever? That's it. Thank you.
2: So, so w- w- the first question was, which family will have more champions than, Nermaga no, than the Nurmagomedovs or the Edwards? Which one will
6: have two? Which one will have two at the same time? Let's say, for example, um, I, guess, uh, yeah. I got you. Mm-hmm. I got
2: you. I got you. Okay. So, first question: it's it, it's the Nurmagomedovs because Usman's going to be Usman's going to win the light, the Bellator lightweight title. So, um, yeah, I mean, at the same time, man, that's tough probably still the Nermaga Madoffs because I mean Usman's gonna Usman's gonna be a tricky e. pitbull he's going to win that title so that's one Leon might even be the champion by March and I don't think Fabian's fighting for a title anytime soon so yeah I, I feel pretty strongly with the Nurmaga Madoff answer there um I forgot your second question. It's tough with the three questions. Uh, the fall movie, fall TV show. I'm not a big like TV guy. Like I'll watch it from time to time. Like I'll watch, I'll watch sports. I'm trying to like people keep begging me to just give pro wrestling a shot, so I'm trying. I'm really trying with like RAW and I watched AEW on Wednesday. It was it was okay. Didn't love it. Didn't hate it. Um, but I am very excited for Halloween kill or Halloween ends. I am a, I'm a big horror movie buff, especially the like sort of the cliche classics, big Halloween fan. I was always like a big Friday the 13th guy. So, and I just have so many thoughts about the Halloween series, like this new one. Cause I thought Halloween kills was awful. I thought it was terrible. I thought it was just the dumbest movie ever. And not not in the sense like I didn't like it because the nostalgia made me happy. I thought the first thirty to forty minutes of that movie was excellent, but it was just. I, I think we're well beyond spoilers at this point, so I'll just go on my little tangent. Halloween Kills. If you guys haven't seen this, there is this sort of way people view characters in horror movies. Like they're just so like they're just really dumb people, and normally it's like. You know, dumb teenagers who, oh, I need to run away from this guy. So let's go into this shed with all these sharp metal objects. I'll definitely be safe there. Or there's this killer on the loose. Let's go into the car with this young lady and we'll make out a little bit and fog up the windows. Like, obviously, that is not going to end well. But in this movie they trick Michael Myers into like the middle of the road. And then they just like beat him up a little bit and he's down and like, it's a couple of baseball bat swings. And then they just are like, yeah, we won. woohoo!" And then just like walk away. And I'm just watching this as it happens. I'm like, these are the dumbest people ever. Like you have a big monster truck there. Like run this dude over a bunch of times. Like this dude terrorized your community for decades and they just, like, beat him up a little bit. They, they gave him a beating. Like, Eminem and 8 Mile got a worse beating than Michael Myers did. And they and they just let him go. And they just walked away and, like, went and celebrated and high-fived. And they probably went to the local pub and drank beers and stuff. Like, yeah, we kicked the guy in while he was down a few times. It was just so stupid. So, of course, Michael gets up and he kills Jamie Lee Curtis's character's daughter and – Now we have this new movie coming out on on October 13th, which I'm very excited about, which I'll probably see the day it comes out. And it was just, I mean, it was just so bad. So hopefully I'm holding out hope that the bad feelings I had with this one will go away with this next one. But I am excited for that. Um, I don't get excited for movies. There are not a lot of movies on the calendar. I'm like, oh, I got to have, I have to see that but that is probably the one this year that I'm definitely seeing opening weekend for sure.
0: Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand.
1: Wait, did that agenda just write itself?
0: Words appear, making this unexplainable case...
1: Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds.
0: Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now.
1: Canva.com. Designed for work. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just visible. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com. Vinny, what's up, buddy?
2: Vinny. All right. Nothing from Vinny. How about Kirkland?
7: What's up, bud? Oh, not much. How you doing? Good. Good. Well, I was reading uh, a fine article this morning on MMA, MMAfighting.com. You know, great website. And uh, it happens to be written by yourself about um, Yoel Romero. And he's kind of following a trend that I've been noticing recently where these really old fighters who, I'm not trying to say are washed, but are at least pre-washed, are coming out and making claims that they're the greatest in the world or that they're one day going to be champion. Uh, again, such as Nate Diaz did that recently in his uh, post-fight speech. Uh, and I was just wondering what your thoughts are on both yellow Romero's chances and just this recent trend of people saying that they're going to be champion one day, even though they look like they're at the towards the end of their careers. Anyways, have a great day, Mike. Thanks. Thanks, man. So, first of all, I love how Jed's MMAfighting.com
2: great website thing is just getting over like Rover. Yeah, so I spoke to Joe Romero a week, a little over a week ago, and he still wants to go to 185. And he still feels that even right now, he is the best middleweight in the world. And I don't know if that's true, I'm not really sure, but he's also very smart too. He's focused on, he knows that all of these big goals and aspirations, which I think any professional athlete or anybody who does anything professionally wants to have, like you want to have goals. You want to have things you want to accomplish. And even at Yoel's age of 45 years old, who is still a freak, by the way, the guy, the guy is still a super athlete. He wants to be a two division champion. He feels like he could win the two Oh five title. And once he does that has a defense or two, he wants to go back. He wants to drop to 185 and win that title. And, Who's to say he can't do it? Now, there's a word that gets thrown out a lot. Jed loves to say it: fighters are washed or are on the well-done side of cooked things like that. I don't think all is quite there yet, but I don't know. you Yoel, just you never, you never really know what you're going to get. Like Yoel Romero is like a box of chocolates, to, to quote the Great Forrest Gump. You just never know. You never know if you're going to get the dude who's going to come out and fight like he fought Paulo Costa. You don't know if you're going to get the dude who came out and fought like he did against Israel Adesanya. You don't know if you're going to get like a Phil Davis type performance where he just cannot defend a takedown whatsoever. And you don't know if he's going to fight a, a really good up-and-comer like Alex Polizzi and beat the holy hell out of this guy and break his friggin' face. We get. We've seen all of these Yoel Romero's. We've seen all of these different variations of Yoel Romero. He is fighting Melvin Manhuff a few hours from right now in Dublin, and Jed and I are on the same page as this uh, on this fight as well. This fight's going one of two ways. It is a, either Yoel is going to absolutely destroy Melvin Manhuff to the point where we're going to feel horrible about our lives and horrible about ourselves that we actually sat back and watched it or it is going to be a miserable viewing experience and we're just going to see two guys combined age of 91 years old standing around doing nothing so both of those roads seem really sad if we're being honest but who knows maybe they'll go out there and just be like you know what no strategy let's just beat the shit out of each other and that would be cool too but i just don't see that world happening so i feel like you is gonna finish him he's got to win this fight if he loses to melvin manhuff then all of these things just go away there's still fights for him obviously you could just do fights with dudes with names like gay guard can move up to 205 and just fight UL and that can headline a card and that would be pretty cool like no one's gonna complain about that or if there's, like, a new fresh free agent on the market that they want to bring in, you could throw you all in with them. I mean, there's lots of stuff you could still do with all. but if he loses to Melvin Manhoff tonight or later on today, that is terribly catastrophic for him. So, yeah, I mean, it's good to have ambitions and goals, and but we'll see. He also understands that if he doesn't beat Melvin Manhoff tonight, then none of that matters. Let's even get Vinny back in. Vinny, are you there?
8: And hey, unmute. Try hey, that. Mike. There hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? Good morning. Top of the morning to you. Hey, I was just Hello. I just wanted to ask you about this fight. Yeah, Joel Romero and Matt Hauff. Matt ninety-two years old. Don't you think they're really not gonna kill each other until maybe <laughs> the end? Probably. I mean, I think I I, I think uh, Man is gonna win, but I mean,
9: it's just because I don't think
8: uh, Joel, Joel Romero's Romero saw a job can. can it's made out of glass anymore. Right, I should say it's made out of glass. So I wanted to keep hearing your your forecast on this.
2: Yeah, you're, you're, Like I said, despite going one of two ways, either you at least, in my opinion. I mean, I could be totally wrong, but just watching enough of these two guys, especially watching like their most recent fights, I think you and just look at the size that, like. You saw that you saw them face off. You all is like, you all looks like he's two of Melvin Manos. He's just he's so much bigger than him. I just don't know if Melvin can beat him. I, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I'm 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 vaguely intrigued by the fight. I didn't like the booking originally. I liked the Polizzi fight better, and he just killed Alex Polizzi. And Alex is a good fighter, and Alex. Might not ever be the same after that fight. Hopefully not, but I think you'll. He one thing Alex bleeds he got is you Ramirez respect. There's no doubt about that. Yoel put that kid over in, in, a, in a big way when I talked to him. So, yeah, I just it's either going to be a Yoel thrashing or I think it's going to be just a horribly boring fight that the Dublin fans will just not enjoy. So, I hope I'm wrong, and they just go in there and beat the hell out of each other, but I just don't think that happens. Let's go to Four Corner Sports, and then we'll go to Viking MMA next. What's up, Four Corner? Hey, what's going
8: on? Uh, So I wanted to ask you about – I saw the UFC ended up announcing that they're officially going to Orlando on December 3rd. Is there any direction as for where they're going to be aiming towards for the main event? Um, I remember hearing something about maybe – possibly Corey Sanhagen and Marlon Vera. But um, I just wanted to know, like, do you have any input? And I wanted to know, um, like, Jason Furillo, he's coached up Vera, and he has Mackenzie Dern fighting in about a little over a week. Uh, is he one of the more underrated coaches? And, like, how and how do you have the, the matchup style up against uh, Mackenzie Dern versus uh, Zao Nan? I'm sorry for, if I butchered her name. And then lastly, I wanted to get your input. So, you're a big Patriots fan. You obviously know of Bill Belichick. I wanted to know who is the Bill Belichick of MMA coaches? Um, like, as. Yeah, I know. As for. This is super yeah. easy. <laughs> I just want to get your input on that. Super easy. All right. All right. Yeah. Thanks, man.
2: Uh, so, let's see. How do I want to go through this? Uh, Jason Perillo, I think he's properly rated. He just. Like, like Trevor Whitman, he doesn't do like a ton of interviews or anything like that. He just kind of stays out of the spotlight. He's kind of behind the scenes. But he's, I mean, anyone that I've ever talked to that has worked with him, even for, like on a full-time basis or just like a, a cross-training basis, cannot say enough good things about him. Marlon Vera has been singing this man's praises for so long. And he doesn't have like a ton of, like there's probably like a bunch of fighters that, Train at Ruka, I'm sure. But for the most part, the guys and the gals that he works with specifically, it's a very small circle. Just ask Michael Bisbing what Jason Perillo did for his career. Michael Bisbing became the freaking UFC middleweight champion after working with Jason Perillo. So that says all you need to know. We've seen the, the, the surge of Marlon Vera, and it's just he's a great coach. He's fantastic. Dern, yon is a really good fight. Like, I know it's not the sexiest matchup in the world, and there are definitely stakes involved here, but it's not like we're not going into this thing saying, like, whoever wins is definitely getting a title shot because I don't think it's quite like that. But it's tar- I have to watch a little more tape on both these women. But I'm leaning Jan, but Mackenzie Dern can just smush anybody. She gets she gets Jan Janan down. It could be over shortly thereafter. So, so I again. I, I don't know. I gotta look into it more. I'll have an answer on the, the preview show next week. But it's close fight. It's really good matchup. And the correct answer for the Bill most Bill Belichickian coach in MMA it's Tyson Chartier. It's Tyson. Because they mimic their entire system like the Patriots. It's, it's the best. Watch any Tyson Chartier interview. Like Tyson will open up a little bit about certain things. But just go watch any interview with Rob Font and Calvin Cater. Especially Cater. I mean Cater is like, Cater is as Bill Belichickian as you can get. We're on to the next one. Once this fight's over, I'm not even thinking about it anymore. I'm not thinking about what's next. It's Ron to this, Ron to that. So like if I, I'm going to try to get Cater. Cater doesn't like to do a lot of media before his fights unless it's something set up by the UFC. So I'm going to try, like if there's anybody that's going to be able to get him beforehand, it's probably going to be me and maybe like one or two other people just because like I've known Calvin for years. Um, You know, even during like International Fight Week when we're doing like the Radio Row stuff. Calvin and Rob, like, sat down with me for, like, 35 minutes and just answered fan questions from YouTube the entire time. And they were very comfortable. Like, we're very... Calvin... And and you just... That whole team, the whole New England cartel team, they're all like that. They're all very Patriots way. One thing at a time. We're not overlooking. We're not looking past. We're not looking behind. We're just looking at what's in front of us. So, Tyson Chartier is the correct answer. Um, He's a little... He opens up a little bit more, but for the most part, that's the type of uh, type of answers you get from that guy. As we move ahead to Viking MMA, and then we'll tag a hidden because we didn't get him yesterday. Viking, hello,
7: Mike Junior.
4: Yo,
10: hello, brother. Mm, absolutely, uh, I'm not I agree with you on that lipstick. Absolutely not. Mm, leave that aside mm, my question is for you is who is the biggest draw in terms of worldwide viewership for ufc 280 market or Oliveira? and my other question is why don't you do fighter in, fighter interview twice a week or once a week because you have you i'm sure you have a skin in ufc mm, that's my question
6: thanks mike
2: Thanks, buddy. Uh, hmm. So I, I think the first question you're judging by, like, who's going to get more of a rub, so to speak, because um, the UFC likes to use the social media metrics, like Dataway always likes to throw out the numbers. Hey, we put up this dude's face off, this dude's weigh, in, and it got, like, this many views. I'm going to say it's Makachev. Over Oliveira, and the reason I say that is because I think Habib is going to be in a lot of those things. So I think putting those two guys near each other is just going to boost Makachev's stock, obviously. So I will lean with Makachev over Oliveira in the, on that sense, but yeah, that's what I, I think. I think Makachev will probably have more of the appeal. I think he'll get more of the the fanfare, especially being in Abu Dhabi as well. So, I don't think that's going to hurt very much. The interview question I know you've asked this before, um, and I never, and I realized I never actually answered it. So, I mean, it's pretty simple. I don't need to do as many interviews anymore. Now, do I still do them? Sure. I don't do them as much. I have great relationships with a lot of these fighters, but at the same token, we have the best interviewer on. Um, like one of the best interviewers in sports working for our website, who does two shows a week and interviews eight to 10 fighters a week. So there's no need for me to do interviews, but that opens me up to do shows like this, like BTL, all the other stuff that we're doing. Do I still do interviews? Yes. I interviewed Yolo Romero. In fact, I'm going to be doing an interview, even on vacation folks doing an interview, uh, one o'clock today, UFC debuting fighter, Don Shanis who's fighting Sadiq Youssef. Uh, I've known Don for a long time. I was interviewing Don before pretty much anybody was interviewing Don when he turned pro in the New England scene. And the dude is getting to the UFC. And he's finally getting his UFC call. So I'm very excited to talk to him. It's been a while. I don't think I've talked to him since, like, right before the pandemic started. So there's a lot to catch up on with him. Um, I don't like to drop names before they happen but this is kind of locked and loaded but I'm talking to Justin Gaethje on Tuesday that is on the calendar Uh, I'm speaking with Justin Gaethje on Tuesday so I get him from time to time I'd like to do the uh, basically the interviews that Ariel doesn't get I, I get or if there's like certain trending topics that Ariel doesn't touch on I'll get them, like the Ty Emery situation. Like I interviewed Ty Emery, and that interview freaking blew up on YouTube. It's Got so many friggin' views, it's insane. Uh, I like interviewing some of the BKFC fighters because they just have a different mindset altogether. Um, but yeah, like my I'm best at interviewing when I'm when I'm there. Like I'm better. I am better on site than I am in my studio. Like I, I'll do them either way because I just—it's a very conversational type thing. It's not really an interview; we're just chit chatting. But I'm way better on scene. I like—I prefer that. I prefer being face to face with somebody that I am doing a Zoom interview or anything like that. Um, so if, if the choice was made, like, hey, just do interviews, but we'll send you on the road more, I would take that in a heartbeat and still do these these shows. Like I actually enjoy it. Now I will admit. When Ariel came back, like, I, obviously, I was thrilled. I mean, it's freaking Ariel Hawani back with us. It was massive. But we knew right away, like, this, especially with what I was doing, because I had an interview show, too. But I knew I just had to step, step aside. I had to, like, sort of weigh in what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it. And to me, it was like, all right, well, I'll still be, do BTL, and I'll host all the preview shows and the post shows and all that stuff. Uh, it'll keep me plenty busy and I just get to hang out and talk to all of you guys and then still do interviews from time to time. Cause the, the one thing that kind of was, was a little stressful at first is that we talk to a lot of the same people, Ariel and I, so if something happens, like I'm already working on things. So like I'll already be working on stuff like the night of these fights. And we'll have a time all set up. And then I find out like Sunday that they're going on the MA hour. And it's like, I don't, I mean, that's fine. Totally cool. But I was getting a little stressed out for a while. Cause I'm just like, Oh, I'm setting like all this stuff up. Or I would do an interview like on a Tuesday and then he'd be on aerial show on a Wednesday. And it's just like, all right, have to find different angles, different things to talk about. And then it just got to the point where I'm like, why am I stressing myself out like this? Like, why am I trying to compete with with Helwani right now? Like, I'm gonna let him do his damn thing and I'm gonna do my thing. I'm gonna find my own lane. And I'm so happy right now. Like I get to jump on the show. I remember pitching the show and everyone's like, What? What do you mean? Like, how are you gonna pull this off? I'm like, just let me try it. Like, I think it's gonna work. And it's working. Like and I have like all these other ideas. And I think the best part about all of this is that Ariel coming back and doing his show, which I'm so happy about, because so good for everybody, is that these ideas that I've had brewing in my mind, they're inching closer to reality, we could do different things. And I'm hoping by next year, like I could do a lot of different stuff, a lot of different stuff, a lot of in person stuff, a lot of just fun things that not a lot of people are doing. So that's, like, the best thing that's happened. Like, once I kind of, like, like just let my the, the ego stuff go and and all those things, like, it's just, it's just so much better. Like, to me, I don't think, like, I just feel like MMA, especially with Helani back, especially with Ariel back, like, I just don't know, like, I, I just think we're doing so well. You know what I mean? Like, I think we're hitting everything. We have, like, just we have a team with people with just all these different great ideas of different shows and different concepts. And now finally seeing Jose show anything, but fighting finally start rolling a little bit. Finally got the first episode launched. Like that is just such a great idea. And no one else is doing that kind of stuff, which I love. So I think we're in a great place. I'm happy to do interviews from time to time. I don't need to do them all the time. That's how, I mean, without doing interviews, I wouldn't be here. It was a big part of my career. But if I could do this every day and just like do a sports radio type show, if I could do that every day and like bring a fight around from time to time and do BTL and like do all – like I'm cool with that. Like I'm totally cool with that. Like I'm thrilled to jump on here three times a week with all of you guys. And some of you agree with me. Some of you don't agree with me on things that I say. And that I don't, that's great. That's what it should be. That's why this show exists. I grew, up in, I grew up in Boston. I listened to Boston sports radio all the time. And the hosts always said dumb shit. And people would call up and tell them that. <laughs> and they would just fight and go bicker back and forth. I'm not trying to do that, but I'm going to have my opinion. And you can have yours. If you disagree with me, that's cool. Sometimes you're going to catch me on a day where I am, a, I am just super stubborn. A lot of the on to the next one shows that we do live after a pay-per-view when I'm on like 20 minutes of sleep. I get a little salty because I literally have no idea what day it is. And I get a little stubborn, but it is what it is. We have fun and I'm very happy with everything I'm doing right now. Okay, let's go ahead. Hopefully your internet connection is better than yesterday.
11: Yes. In the ass, but you're the man, Mike. I loved what you said. I'd love to see more interviews. Just do you doing more stuff as well. You're great. Now, like I was gonna say, Rosas Junior, right? Like, and I got like I had to leave because my Twitter was a mess. But I'm actually upset about the Rosas Junior situation. The more I think about, at first I was like, whoa, 17 year old in the UFC. But the more I think about it. Like Mike, you know my stance on Dana White fighter pay and all these fans complaining. I all think they're a bunch of whiny little snowflakes. But this thing with Rosas Jr. is making me upset because this this guy is not even an adult. It feels like it's a teenager being exploited for the benefit of the UFC so the UFC can use him and just say, oh, look, we uh, hired a 17-year-old. But this this guy is not... Ready, Uh, and and it's not that he's not good, he's amazing. But it's just what was the pro? What's the problem with the developmental deal? What's the problem? The UFC Fight Pass, uh, the social page, not UFC, UFC Fight Pass, that does really well as well, and they promote other fighters, like I heard about Jacqueline Amarim, the LFA story champion through that page, they promote him well. Why not stick him on those shows? Why not make him the star of that page? Because you know, Mike, the biggest problem of an up-and-coming fighter is two things, money and exposure. They're obviously linked, but you can, like, with his performance on uh, Contender Series, you can give him all the sponsors, all the money just to give him time just to prepare well, give him exposure to different teams like i and mike i think you talked about bo nickel and you're like oh we know what's happening him not getting to the ufc i don't know what's happening i think i missed that part like so please explain that why bo nickel isn't in but this dude's in like i'm not hard on the kid it's just like there's a guy in adcc mike we talked about before a guy called uh Cade rotolo the youngest adcc champion but mike he's 19 this guy's 17 and Ruot is even more of a prospect in submission grappling than this guy is in MMA. Just why not just be a bit kinder? And Mike the other thing was uh, I mentioned on Tuesday, but I think we ran out of time was Jose retired Jose Aldo retired. But are we reaching the end of an era, the greatest era in MMA? Jose's gone. Anderson's gone. GSP's gone. All these guys have gone. Connor's getting older. John Jones is getting older. What's going to happen? Like Joe Rogan saying, oh, if Dana leaves, I'm leaving. What's going to happen after that? Because boxing is in a pathetic state right now, but boxing has lasted this long. What's MMA going to be? And lastly, lastly, Chemayev 185. Very easy, as, as we've all said. Paolo Costa, uh, UFC 283. Let's go. Drop the mic, Mike.
2: Thanks, man. So a lot to sort of unpack there. Obviously, Chemayev costs the fight to make if he does go to 185. Um, so the Raul Roses thing is, is interesting because he's going to be 18 in like two weeks. Two weeks from tomorrow, he's eighteen, so it's not like it's not like he just turned seventeen. So he's going to be like a legal adult in two weeks. So I, I think it's kind of close. And uh, I'll go back to that in a second. The end of an era. I mean, it, in a way, I think for for longtime fans, it is. But you have to understand that the UFC's success right now, sure, it has to do with the longtime fans, but it's. It is a ton to do with what the UFC did in the pandemic. They got so many new fans. So, and, 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 the, and the vast majority of these newer fans have never seen John Jones even fight. They've seen Jose Aldo fight a little bit, but didn't really know much about his featherweight career and like what he did before that. They only know about the guy who got beat up by Piotr Jan and won a couple of fights and then lost to Marab. So in our eyes, sure. I mean, th- there's, there's some truth to that. But the UFC has gotten into such an interesting position right now that they are the draw. I mean, there are certain fighters that are, that are like Connor and, and Nate and guys like that. Like, they're, they're bona fide superstars. They're going to sell no matter what they do, but they could do anything and sell. But the UFC has become – I've made this comparison before. The UFC has become WrestleMania. In a lot of ways, I don't care who's fight. Like, I don't care who wrestles at WrestleMania. I'm watching it every year. It's the brand. It doesn't matter who competes. Now, if you want to put Steve Austin on there to, to wrestle, I'm going to watch the hell out of that because that was the, the glory days of pro wrestling in a lot of people's eyes. That's when wrestling was at its highest peak. That's when it had the most viewership. That's when it was the business was making so much money. We had two competing promotions. It was just the most fun time in pro wrestling but WrestleMania lived on without all those guys and WrestleMania is still a big deal. And like, that's what the UFC has become in a lot of ways. It's the UFC and people are just going to watch for whatever. Now they have to do a better job developing stars. That's for sure. Cause eventually Connor's going to be gone and who knows what happens to John. And we get other guys as well. Frankie Edgar's about to go. Who knows how much longer we have with the dominant cruises of the world. So it is like from a, from that time period, if you got into the sport like fifteen years ago to now, or like a little the WEC era to now, like it is kind of the end of an era. Like a lot of those WEC guys, a lot of those Strike Force guys don't compete anymore. Now there's still some from Strike Force who compete, and there are still a couple from WEC that compete, but for the most part, a lot of those fighters are dunsky. So the nostalgic being in me is like, yeah, it's kind of tough. But also the realist in me understands that. And to use Raul Rose's junior as an example, five years from now, wait till like there's going to be this new crop of fighters that we're going to be blown away by. This isn't like we're living in a world where Raul Rose, I mean, Rose is training since he was four, like four years old. That's insane. And there are kids now out there that are training three, four years old. Like when I was growing up, this wasn't an option what the options were, where you can go play baseball and basketball and hockey and football. And like, you could take karate classes, but to even think that being a, like being a fighter as a, like a professional fighter, like no one, no one ever thought about that. No one ever thought about that in the late eighties, early to mid nineties. No one thought about that. And now kids are just jumping into jujitsu and MMA classes, like four, five, six years old. And they're going like four or five days a week. Raul Rose is fighting, Raul Rose had 22 fights before his first official amateur fight. The dude's got experience. And that's what like a lot of these kids are getting now. Kids MMA events are like a very big thing now. A very big thing. So this sport is just gonna, like five years from now, the sport's gonna look way different because we're gonna have just uber, super talented dudes just coming in right off the gate. It's not just going to be, like, who's the first available guy that will take this fight. It's going to be, holy shit, we got to sign this kid. He's ridiculous. He's been training and competing for years. Now, the Roses Jr. thing is interesting because I don't really think – I don't think – like, the age certainly didn't hurt because it became part of the headlines and stuff like that. Holy crap, a 17-year-old fighter. But anybody who watched this kid compete on UFC Fight Pass, by the way, because he fought with UWC – the dude was just running through everybody. Like the talent was on it. You could not ignore how talented this kid was. And even just like interviewing him, I didn't feel like, like if I didn't know he was 17, I wouldn't think he was 17. I would have thought he was like 20. Super mature for his age. So while there were, there are certainly fighters off this season, the contender series that should have gotten developmental deals. And if you wanted to give roses a developmental deal, I wouldn't have had an issue with it. But I don't actually I'm not all that surprised that they signed him either. Mando Gutierrez is a good fighter. Like he's a good prospect. Real good. Like they didn't throw him in there with, with some squash matchy opponent. They they tested him with a really good guy and he he killed him. He ran him over. He dominated him. And Mando was tough. He tried to try to heart out of a lot of different things, but Raul beat him like convincingly. So I'm not surprised they gave him a deal and he is going to be 18 shortly. And the bow nickel thing, I've talked about this before. At first I was like, Oh, come on. How do you not sign this? How do you not sign this guy? And then you realize, and I feel like this would like if Raul Rojas Jr. Fought on the second episode of the contender series, he wouldn't have got signed. I guarantee it. Guarantee he wouldn't have got signed. They would have like, they would have quote unquote signed him because let's be, let's be honest. Bo Nickel is under UFC contract. I, I would bet money. He is under UFC contract. This is like, this is his developmental deal. We are in the middle of Bo Nickel's developmental deal. I can, I'm pretty sure like, I just got in the ass, of these. This dude was like, I think he was signed before the Contender Series fight. I think they had already locked him up to some sort of developmental deal, and his developmental fights will just be on the Contender Series because that's an own separate "quote unquote" promotion. It's just tied in as a feeder to the UFC, but the Contender Series is not the UFC. It's a it's its own promotion. Like they could do their own. Like these this is separate from the UFC altogether. Now the prize leads to the UFC, but it's a totally separate promotion. If you go to the Vegas. If you go to the Nevada Athletic Commission, DWCS is a promotion. It's not the UFC presents. It's Dana White's contender series is an actual fight promotion. But they use that fight promotion for different ways. It's part of their feeder league, so to speak. And that's how they could use these developmental deals. So Bo Nickel was basically, in my opinion, he was signed. Because International Fight Week, Bo Nickel was there. He was a featured guy going around, doing interviews with the media. He's on Fight Pass. He's doing all these different things. To me, that kind of told me Bo was already under lock and key. But this is just his developmental deal. Goes and gets a win. It was like the second week. The UFC understood saw how much press this guy was getting, how much excitement was behind him, the hype. So they were like, you know what? We're just going to give him another fight. Still under our developmental deal. And... Everyone's going to watch this guy fight again. Everyone's going to be talking about this dude fighting again. And had Raul Roses fought on week two of the contender series or week one of the contender series, they would have done the same thing with him, I think. They would have said, hey, you know, he's 17. He's really good and really talented, but we're going to give him one more fight on here. Why? Because they saw how much buzz this kid was getting even before he fought because he was 17. And I don't think they expected it. So that's what I think. That's the difference. Bo is signed. Bo's going to go and beat the hell out of this dude, Donovan Beard, who is a fine fighter. But Bo's going to go in there and he's going to take him down. He's going to smash him. And then he's going to get a contract. Like, then they're going to say, hey, come get your contract. Even though we kind of know he already kind of has one already. So they're just kind of. They're just kind of doing these developmental deals like before the developmental deal, so to speak. But I really wish the contender series would give away more of those things. There's just, there's, there's, I have to go back into like all the seasons, like all the episodes this season, but there's a bunch of fighters who are not UFC ready. that got wins and got contracts, some with a lot of talents and you could see, but just are not ready for this thing. And roses. I think he's ready, but I just hope they they're going to they're going to match make for him accordingly. They're going to get him in there with like other contender series contract winners or short notice regional talents. Like they're not going to throw him in there with Chris Gutierrez right off the bat. And they shouldn't. You got to build this kid up just like they're doing with Joe Piper. They're going to get Rose's wins and there's nothing wrong with that. So that's what we that's what we can expect.
12: Let's go to Emilio.
2: Emilio, you're there.
13: Hello, Mike. Hello. Can can you hear me? Yes. Great. That's great. Uh, Yeah, damn. Uh, It's been a while. Uh, I also kind of wasn't really expecting to... To get a uh, to, to become one of the chosen few, but it's uh, it's good to be back. I have been listening, even though I haven't been participating. Um, and yeah, you've been killing it as usual. And um, okay, so I guess my question is, personally, from the rest of the year, from now until December thirty first, what are your top at least from fights that are already announced and official um what are your top three most anticipated fights and why usually the ufc you know like right now right now the ufc is going through like a little bit of a what's the word uh, a, a, a recuperating <laughs> phase you know the cards are not not really that hot but i remember I had a similar feeling last year, uh, around this time, and then that final stretch of last year was just spectacular with uh, with all the the, the per views and and the fight nights uh, that came. So yeah, that's um, my question is: What are your top three most anticipated fights and why for the rest of the year for the rest of 2022? Um, that's it. Wishing you a fantastic rest of the Friday, a great weekend. And uh, it's good to talk to you again, Mike. Have a heck of a, heck of a weekend. Thanks, buddy.
2: (sighs)
14: Top three.
2: I'll go, like, I'll I'll play a little bit. I mean, number one is Makachev, It was Oliver Makachev, No doubt about it. It's the most intriguing fight of the year anyways. And it's just going to get even more intriguing the closer we get to October 22nd, which is going to be here before you know it. We're a month away from that card. UFC 280 looks great. I will put Adesanya Pereira on that list because of the story. And I just don't know. like Alex Pereira could be the best middleweight in the world right now, or he could be like the eighth best middleweight in the world right now. And I, I kind of want to know the answer to that question. And we will get the answer to that question at UFC 281. So I'll throw those two out there. I'll go a little more under the radar with the rest. Matush Gamrot versus Benil Dariush is just not getting enough attention at all. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's an intriguing fight. And I'm just curious to see the aftermath of it. Like, what if Benil wins? Will he get that title shot that he deserves? Or will he get passed over again? What if Gamra wins? What happens then? So I'll throw that in there. I mean, Chandler Chandler's gonna be insane, but I feel like that's too easy of an answer. Calvin Cater Arnold, Arnold Allen, very excited about. It's a big one at 145. Is Arnold Allen the real deal? We'll find out. We'll find out because he's gonna have his hands full of Calvin Cater. And Cater's team, I've told you about this since the show began. Cater's team has wanted this fight for a long time. So let's see if they if they get the result that they think they're gonna get. I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, one more. I'll go Bryce Mitchell, Mavsar Avloyev. Especially if that's the main event. And I really hope it is the main event for that November 5th card because they don't have a headliner yet. They don't have a headliner. And by the way, now I just thought of a different question. UFC going to Orlando. What's the main event? Right now, the target main event is Derek Brunson versus Jack Hermanson. But like I said, I mean, it doesn't look like the Hamzak Colby thing will happen. I would love to have seen that one headline it, but Hey, listen, if you want to do Corey Sanhagen versus Marlon Vera headlining that card in Orlando, I'm cool with that, too. That's a better main event than Brunson versus Hermanson. No disrespect. It's just that's a better fight. The stakes are higher in that one. Stakes are way higher than Brunson Hermanson. Let's go to Zeke. We try to get to everybody here.
8: Zeke.
7: you there? My man, Mike, how are we? Good, how are you? Good morning, heck of a Friday to you. You All too. Right, so talk to me about, uh, I guess, Bellator today, because it's the only kind of fights, you know, uh, combat sports we're going to have this weekend. Obviously, familiar with UL well, Romero, but obviously kind of a Chad-esque square when it comes to UFC, so... Definitely not too familiar with anybody on Bellator. So I guess besides UL Romero, give me another fight that you're kind of interested in if you do know one and why. And then I'm going to take you into a completely different world here because, I don't know, I'm kind of like your Boston guy to a sense, even though I'm a Yankee New York guy. So talk to me about what the heck is going on in the Boston Celtics locker room. Good luck and have yourself a heck of a morning.
2: Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, you kind of, as a Boston sports fan, you kind of sit through the disaster of this Red Sox season and you look at this Patriots team and you just kind of understand that if you make the playoffs, it is like an insane victory with the squad they have right now. And then you're just like, you know what? Let's just look ahead to the winter slash spring sports into the early summer. Let's look at the NHL. Let's look at the Bruins. Let's look at the Celtics. Let's get excited for them. Celtics are going to be better than they were last year. They went to the finals all dinged up. They hung with Golden State. I still think they, I still think a fully healthy Celtics team beats that Golden State team. Maybe they don't. I don't know. I, I feel like that they were the, the better team, but Golden State showed out. Celtics didn't. There you go. They reload, get the tools they need, and then this this shit happens with Adoka and all this crap. It's it sucks. It sucks, and it's got to be bad. Like we're we're getting like little bits and pieces, but the way it like was kind of framed earlier was that it was a consensual relationship, but it doesn't seem like that's the case now. So. I don't know. I think this is like much worse than this is probably end up being worse than we're getting right now, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, the team's still there. Hopefully the interim coach has the respect of the players and if he does, team will be good. They'll be real good. And I'll just try to be cautiously optimistic about that and that's that. Um spell it's to card I mean, look Benson Henderson, Peter Queeley, it's fine. We understand why this fight is made. Peter Creeley entrance is going to get social media play because it's going to be super cool. Uh, Obviously, a lot of the Irish fighters, a lot of the SBG fighters on the card. Mads Burnell, Pedro Carvalho will be fun. Uh, Brett Johns, he's back. Uh, The Carl versus Carl fight should be fun. I mean, Georgie Caracanian's on the card. Um, Jed mentioned Gerard Kelly versus Kai Stevens could be a little interesting because you got like the, the UK versus the Irish sort of rivalry going down but I don't know listen it's it's gonna be a fine watch it's gonna be a fine watch but listen if, you're, if you, you have something else to do on a Friday afternoon and you don't want to watch it like I get it if you're just like I can only take so much of Bellator I would probably wait till next week <laughs> That card's much better. Uh, but this will be fine. The Dublin Crowds always kind of brings a certain energy that gives a nice boost to these fight cards. And hey, listen, Friday afternoon MMA, you're not going to get much argument from me on that, but this is the best Bellator card. God, though. Is it the worst? No, it's fine. It's fine. It'll be fun. I think we'll watch him and be like, all right, that was kind of cool.
15: Let's go to Rips and Picks. What's up, Mike? How you doing? Can you hear me? Yes, I got you. How are you? Good, good, man. Happy Friday to you and everyone. Uh, heck of a morning. Uh, I got two things for you. One thing is just kind of the first thing I saw when I hopped on Twitter today, which is Hamza to 185. I mean, I know we already know he can fight at 185, but just curious if you think that's going to kind of just be his future home. Um, and then the next thing is... Bellator is today, um, but I, I feel like pfl's kind of becoming the second biggest promotion. I, I mean, it just seems like a lot of fighters are opting to fight for them. Uh, you know, especially we, we got like Tiago Santos, Shane Burgos. You know, just some of the more recent ones. But you know, they also have like an ESPN deal. You know, so it's the same thing we're watching the UFC on versus Bellator like a Showtime subscription. Um, j- just curious, what you think the role of PFL is now? You think they're maybe taking the spot as second place? Thanks, Mike. Thanks, man.
2: Yeah, we, we, we talked about the Hamza thing. Listen, if Hamza wants to play 185, he's going to do damn well. It's just, it's just, it's an interesting spot for him because he can make 170. He's made it. There have been times where he has struggled. But again, I was in Jacksonville. I watched this man step to the scale, hit 170 on the dot for the Gilbert Burns fight. Didn't look destroyed, didn't look wiped out. Looked like he was fine. So the, I honestly think it's on him. Like, I honestly think this is on him. Like, if he truly wanted to be a welterweight, he could be a welterweight. He could do it. Kevin Holland, I I don't talk to Kevin as much anymore because he's on Ariel's show, and that's fine. He talks to Damon a lot. But I used to talk to Kevin all the time, and we talked about the 170 move. Even when, I think I interviewed him, the first time he talked about it, Yeah, I think he told that to James Lynch, but then I talked to him right before UFC Boston when he lost to Brendan Allen. He's been talking about the 170 move for like two years, but was very comfortable at 185 because he could just get out of bed and like eat pizza and stuff during fight camps and just roll out of bed and like run two laps and make 185, and it was doing really well. But he also said that if he made the decision to move to 170, he was gonna take it very seriously. And it would give him the discipline that he never really had at 185. And I thought that was a real sort of compelling look at his fighting future. And if Hamza can kind of find that same mojo, I mean, he could make one set. Like he's a big dude. He could make it. it. I don't think he's got like years at 170, but if he took it seriously, like I even said, like for the Diaz fight week and anytime he fights in Vegas or anywhere else, do not stay at the fighter hotel. Do not stay anywhere like where there's stuff that's easily accessible, most notably restaurants and food and things like that because, again, I wasn't following around Hamzat the whole week, but, I mean, you've seen enough evidence on social media to know that he just wasn't really disciplined during fight week. But if he just got an Airbnb and brought out a, like a, a chef or some sort of nutritionist, to just cook him meals, the right meals for a weight cut, I think he could make it. But again, if he wants to stay at 185, there's fights for him there. And I think he'd do very well there. And I think he'd be the champion. But the biggest fights for him are at 170. There's no doubt about it. His biggest fights are at 170. Colby's massive. Usman's massive. All those fights are bigger. 185, Costa will be fun. But then what? Like, honestly, like, Adesanya's been talking about moving to 205. Like, I don't know what else Adesanya has left to do at 185. If he beats Alex Pereira, like, what else is there? He's already beaten everybody and some guys twice. So I think I think his future at 185 is, I think we're, that door's going to close. If he beats Alex Pereira and beats him convincingly, he's got nobody else to fight. So why not just make the move then to 205? I just don't know what other challenges are left for him at 185. Because he's already beaten everybody. At that point, like, does he just get a... Does he just fight for the belt against Robert Whitaker? I mean, they're supposed to be, like, these new tag team partners, which I'd be happy with. Because I think Whitaker would do a lot of good for, for Hamzat, honestly. But I don't know. I mean, it's healthy for him, but definitely... The bigger fights for him are, are at 170, but maybe that's what it's not about at this point. He just wants to go in there and fight as often as possible and get some wins. And I think if he wants to be a champion, he's got a very good chance at 185, especially if Adesanya moves up. I think he'd beat Adesanya anyways, but if Adesanya moves up to 205, if he beats Pereira, which I wouldn't blame him for, I don't know. We'll see what happens. We will definitely see what happens. Let's go to Siviram. The wheel is spinning. Sivaram, are you there? How are you, Mike? I'm good. How are you? you? Yeah, I'm fine.
9: Uh, There is no main events in UFC. Uh, uh, next event is the UFC 280, and uh, days are moving very slowly, Mike. <laughs> How do you feel?
16: Well, you i the very 280? 280?
9: Yeah, I'm very, I'm very hyped up for the UFC 280 and 281. Uh, I can't wait to see the fight between all the fights in 280, and uh, main event in the 281, uh, Chandler versus Dustin. Uh, it's the... Uh, most exciting fight after UFC 280. So I think uh, 280 and 281 pretty much very exciting fights uh, stacked in those two events. So until now, the days are going very slowly for me. (laughs) Because there is no entertainment in MMA world. (laughs) Except for uh, those uh, boxing matches that nobody cares in in India. (laughs) uh, that's it, Mike. And uh, one thing about the... Uh, I want to ask you about uh, two things. One thing is about the Tony Ferguson. Uh, so, DC is saying a lot of things to Tony. And uh, what? how do you react to those uh, comments about Tony? And second thing is... Uh, have you seen the interview between Mike and... Uh, uh, Michael Chandler and Dustin Poirier, conducted by DC? And how do you react to... to uh, those both guys' arguments and uh, I think they are feeling competitive to each other. That's why uh, they're sort of uh, going front and back in those in that interview. Uh, I see Dustin going to pull that win against Chandler and uh, who you got on on that fact. That's it, Mike.
2: Thanks, man. Yeah, the two eighty build is uh, it's kind of a long road because we're still a month away from that one. It seems like it should be a week from now, but I think it's kind of a good thing. It's nice to like build anticipation because we're just we've just been inundated with event after event after event after events event. like every week for like it just seems like a half a year. It's like every week there's a card, and that's great for the viewer, but when you're trying to build up these big cards, like you have to give us some kind of a break. And even like, I kind of like what they're doing here. Like we're, we got a week off, take a little breather. We come back for this Dern, Yan Jan card, which isn't great, honestly, but we're just going to be jacked up to see fights. Like we get a chance to miss it for a little while. And then we get another week off and then we come back on the 15th. We get another card, which isn't spectacular on paper, but that card will be used to just amp up the excitement of UFC 280. This is going to be UFC 280 promo city with fights mixed in between them. And by the time 280 rolls around, we are going to be fired up. We are going to be ready to go. And then it's just onwards. And then we're just on fire from there because we got the Cater Allen card right after that. And we have November 5th. We get two high stakes fights on that. We just don't know which one's going to main event. Because we got Rodriguez, Lamos, and then we got Ivloyab-Mitchell. I hope it's Ivloyab-Mitchell as the main event. Just sound off on that one. I mean, come on. Give these two the main event. We saw what happened when we all spoke for the Armand Saruqian-Matush Gamrot fight being the main event, and we got one of the best fights of the year out of that one. The fight I, That's the fight I've watched the most this year. I go back and watch that fight like every week because it's just so good. And I think we'd get something similar from Avloyev from and Mitchell as well. So, yeah, and then 281s right after that. So we're going to be on a, a nice little run for the rest of the year. We just got to get through the next few weeks. And I think having like a week off in between some of these cards is, is not a bad thing at all. It's not a bad thing at all. Let's go to Tristan.
14: Hey, Mike, can you hear me? Hey buddy. Going yep, I got gotcha. you. So um, I didn't get to. I don't know. I didn't get to hear you about with um, I guess with Bone Nick who would you match um match him up next after this fight here? It's been racking my brain. Like, who would you match him up? It's just so many middle. So many of the middleweights are are booked already. So I mean, this is kind of like an odd no situation here that we're doing right now. So who would you have a match? Who would you match him up? Let's say because I, I just have a feeling if he gets a if he gets a quick finish he's going to go up and he's like i want to fight in december get me on one of those december cards is is it would it be a type of that situation where they'll they have to find somebody for him for december or do you feel like some some one of those middleweights are going to drop out and he's going to just fill right in you know because i am racking my brain here i got i have him fighting i had him fighting against abdul um uh Razan um Al Hassan um but but he pulled out he fought Jamie Pickett but he pulled out I don't know how significant his injury was the reason why he was withdrew then there's Ian Heinisch I think I don't know if he's coming back I think he may come back next year cuz I don't know if he had a significant injury Brad Tavares just fought DDP is he going to take you know and that what is that it's going to be his I mean he can make that December card but I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how damaged, how hurt he, you know, how damaged or he needs time, but I mean, he did fight July 2nd, but the problem is what he's in the top 15. I don't know if they're going to do that. Just give, just throw him in there. Like, yeah, we'll give you Brad Tavares. You know, I don't know if they're going to do that because I think I remember you were saying, well, you got to kind of slow roll him a little bit, you know? So what are your thoughts on that? Do you think if he comes in, makes quick work on Tuesday, and then he's like, "I want, I want that. I want to get on that December card. Let's go. I want, I want to fight before the end of the year." Do you see it more that one of those middleweights are going to drop out, and he's just going to fill back in? Just want to know your thoughts on that. Thanks, Mike.
2: Yeah, I don't think he's fighting anybody that high. He'll fight like a, and I'm not saying this is like disrespectful names, but these are guys he's probably going to to beat. He'll fight like a trait I mean, I know Trey Gore is fighting Josh from October 29th, but be somebody like that, someone like a Dustin Stoltzvis, who is a fine fighter, but will probably be a massive underdog. It's going to be somebody like that, just for like the first couple. Maybe a Mark Andre Burial, because we saw like he's not great at defending takedowns. Maybe just throw him in there, like with that. Throw him in there with what that may be, because then you're, you you think to yourself like. Hey, MAB's good. Like, he's a good fighter. He's tough as hell. He's got UFC wins. It seems like a step up in competition. I don't know how quickly he can bounce back from the fight with Anthony Hernandez. But, I mean, these are the kinds of fights. Something like that. And then you just slowly move him up from there. Like, Joseph Holmes. Those types of guys. And then we move him up to, like, I don't know, the... maybe the maybe 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 sudden, maybe like the roman copylovs of the world guys like that and then we can so if you can get a couple wins there then we could start talking about the eric anders types the phil Hawes types and then if he just goes 3 and 0 against those guys then we could start talking like top 15 Bo's going to be fine i think he's going to be super active he's a guy that's going to fight like three times a year i'm not saying like like, they're going to they're gonna slow roll Joe Pfeiffer. They're going to slow roll him. They're not going to give him, like, top 15 matchups for, like, the next couple of years. They're just going to put him in the types of matchups where he can style and he can get over. And they're going to keep building him up. They don't need to do that with Bo, because Bo's already super over as it is. But you don't want to throw your biggest new prospect, the new shiny toy in there with freaking Gerald Meershard his first fight, or... The Nasruddin-Imovovs of the world. Let him build some confidence. Get a couple of wins. Yeah, somebody like that. I don't know if he's going to slide into a short-notice fight. They'll probably look at him like a Muhammad Mahayev, where they just... They'll tease fight news. It'll come out, and it'll be a build. It's not just going to be like, hey, Bo Nichols fighting in two weeks to step in for this guy. I don't think that happens.
12: Let's go to Juicy bets. Hey, how's it going, Mike? Good. See you. Uh you know, I know it popped in yesterday. I was talking about like Canadian MMA. And I love how you just mentioned muhammad Makayev, because that was actually one of my questions is is the or maybe more of a comment. I mean, you know, I don't get why they're matching this guy up with Malcolm Gordon. Um, you know, Gordon he's look granted, he's coming off two fights that um, you know, maybe maybe shouldn't have won. You know, I think he's you know, he's on a bit of a run right now and and I just don't get why they need to feed this guy to Mikhaev now. Um, not really a competitive fight in my eyes. I mean, Makayev should pretty much eat him alive. And I hate to see it, man. I was on here yesterday talking about Canadian MMA and and how we can't seem to catch a break. And, like, here's another prime example. Um, one more, one other thing I just wanted to mention is just I heard a rumor that uh, Ricky Simone and Frankie Edgar might be fighting in New York. Just wanted to see if you heard anything about that.
2: Um, I've not heard anything about that. I have to look. I mean, I honestly, I haven't this whole week. I haven't really been on Twitter all that much. I'm trying to like, just kind of go like, outside doing this show and, and doing some other stuff. But I haven't, honestly, haven't seen any reports about that. Uh, and you would think that. You would think that this is something that. Would pop up immediately on my feed. Uh, yeah, so I don't see anything. But hey, yeah, listen, if it happens, it's it's fine. Like I, I I wanted to see the Jose Aldo Frankie Edgar fight. We're not going to get that. Um, it's fine. It's a fight Frankie can win too. That's like the like Ricky's really good, but Frankie can win that fight. Frankie was beating Marlon Vera for a little while until he got kicked in the friggin' face. Frankie's been competitive with a lot of these guys. Like I know we look at the Corey Sanhagen flying knee and that like hurt our feelings a lot. Cause it's just a beautifully timed knee and Corey is well prepared for that fight. But Frankie's still competitive for the most part. Like he's had some tough losses and some bad knockouts, but he gave, he was giving Marlon Vera some fits out there and Marlon ended up winning the fight. But there are a lot of people who felt like if that kick doesn't land, Frankie wins that fight. So yeah, I, th- I think it's a fine fight. I think it's competitive. I think Simone would, will probably win it. But listen, Frankie's been in this position many times where people think he's done and then he gets the young whippersnapper coming in and then Frankie just beats the brakes off of him. And the last fight of his career, MSG, who knows? But yeah, if they book that fight, I'm fine with it. Without Jose or if they can't get Cruz in there, I'm fine with Ricky Simone. Just don't throw him in there with like Umar and Amarga or somebody like that because that would be – don't do that to him. Don't do that to him. And then the Mahayef thing. Listen, from what I understand, Muhammad is having a very tough time finding guys who will say yes to fight him. Malcolm Gordon said yes. Here we are. Mahayef wants a top 15 guy. And if I'm a top 15 flyweight right now, I ain't even like entertaining this dude. <laughs> like, I'm not focused on Mahiaf at all. And he's going to eventually have, he's eventually going to get there. And once he starts fighting these guys and he gets a win, then these guys are just going to have like no choice but to fight him. But people are just saying, like, look, he's 21. He's 2 0 in the UFC. Like, how dare he call me out? And I don't, and I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I'm like Brandon Royval or any of those guys. I'm like, why? I'll go fight a top five guy for a chance to fight for the belt. Why would I fight this undefeated 21 year old kid who has a has a great debut and then he fought a guy who was making his UFC debut. Like I get where they're coming from. And Malcolm Gordon is, is a gamer man. He's not gonna say he's just gonna say yes. He sees the opportunity here. What's he what if he wins? It's a huge opportunity. It's a, it'd be a huge win for him. But yeah, I'm with you. I think Mahayev's gonna win that fight.
16: Troy, hello. Hey Mike, how you doing? Excuse me. Good. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about um Shumayev tweeting out 185. And I think I think the reason that he might be going to 185 right now is he wants to get a fight in by the end of the year. That's also what his coach said. And I think Colby's been radio silent so I don't I don't really see Colby looking for that fight right now which kind of sucks because that was the matchup I really wanted to see and I agree with you like he could easily make 170 he's only missed one time and uh, which was just a weird week anyways um, so yeah so I, I, I feel like the Colby Shamaya fight is what most people wanted but now it looks like it's going to have to be probably Kasa versus Shemayev just because um, uh, Shemaev was saying that he doesn't want to fight Whitaker really. And um, I guess they're like buddies now. So I was just wondering what you think his uh, next matchup might be at 185. And also uh, here's another thing too. Who else would he even be able to fight at 170? Because it seems like everyone's booked. So, other than Colby, I I really don't know who else he was going to fight at 170, anyways. So obviously like the winner of Leon versus Usman, but that's not going to happen until March. So he doesn't really want to wait all the way till July or next year. So yeah. Anyways, thanks. Thanks man. Yeah. I mean, Colby seems to make
2: sense. We just sort of pull up the wealth weight rankings. Um, Masvidal? Masvidal would make sense. Mazadol's talk some smack. Be a big fight for, for Masvidal. And listen, the one thing Masvidal said that's kind of been holding Shamaya back was selling pay-per-views and things like that. The dude's selling pay-per-views now. That's for damn sure. So you could do that. I mean, you could do the winner of... Listen, I'm going to say this again, and hopefully... This is what happens, okay? If I'm Bilal Muhammad or I'm Sean Brady, on October 22nd, sorry, landscapers are here. On October 22nd, if you win that fight, you call that dude out. You call him out. You do it, especially if you're Bilal. Bilal, please, please, Bilal, if you beat Sean Brady, call out Shemaev. Don't call out Colby. Don't call... Edwards, don't call it Usman. You call out Hamza Shemaev. You spit fire. That's what you do. If you're Sean Brady, you do the same thing. You try to you try to poke and prod this guy to go back to 170. I think there's fights from there. The 185 thing is interesting because if he does want to fight at the end, before the end of the year, I don't think the cost of fight happens. I think if the cost of fight happens, it's going to happen next year like early next year. He's got he's Paul's hurt. Just had surgery. It's going to be a little bit of a build to get back and then get into fight shape and do all that stuff. Like I don't know if Paul's going to be ready in December. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. But if they can try to get him on a card, they're going to certainly try to get him on a card. And it's going to be the most it's the most interesting story in the sport right now. Alright, so we'll go to average avenues, we'll go to crypto, Jay and Ani, and then I gotta get out of here. Average Avenues, hello. Good, how are you?
5: All right. So since it's a free for all, I thought I'd give you give you um a little bit of a different one. Okay, so you've got you have the power to overturn the results of three di- different fights in, in USC history. The loser of that fight is now the winner. You get one caveat though. Only what you can only turn one controversial fight. The other two just just random. Okay, have a good day, man. Cheers.
7: Oh
15: Jesus.
2: <sighs> I mean the one the one I'm overturning for sure is, is Carlos Conda Robbie Law. Carlos Conda is the welterweight champion. That is that's for sure. That's the way it should have been. So that's that's what I'm going with. Um, man, the other two are tough. I'm going to go, like, I'm just going to pick one, okay? And it's not a result. It's just because I wanted to see more. And it's, it's, this is going to be a weird one because it's one of the most historic moments in UFC history. It's one of the craziest things I've ever seen watching this sport live. I just wish Conor McGregor didn't knock out Jose Aldo (laughs) that quickly. I'm going to say, I'm going to rewrite history and just say that Conor like missed that punch or that Aldo got the better of that exchange and just both guys got hit hard and no one fell. And that fight just continued on. So I'll go with that one. I'll go with that one. Just because I wanted to – like, I just – I just always wanted to see what that fight would have looked like. And I'm not – like, I still think Conor would have won that fight that night. But I just wanted to see more. I wanted to – I just wanted to see more. So just out of curiosity, just to go down a weird – go down a weird road. I'll go with that one. Just uh since we're giving aldo the shine this week anyhow but that'd be cool the other one i have to think about crypto hello yes hi mike hi
1: how are you?
3: good
2: how
1: are you
3: good, good. yeah i, I would I, well just to latch on to that that discussion here uh i would definitely go like ben asker and jake paul uh, and overturn that result so we don't have to see these celebrity <laughs> fights. That's the one I would do. 100% Mike. But uh, yeah, well, anyway, Mike, okay. So um, yeah, as you said, I mean, there's not a lot of things happening this week. Uh, I mean, just just to put things into perspective, the co-main event in Bellator, the combined age of those guys is 91 years in total so i mean that is just crazy so i have a different question mike i, I asked this i think previously but i had many questions so so uh, we didn't discuss this but could you explain the, the, the whole concept of money fights because i'm i'm really wondering about this like let's let's look at oliveira let's say that he loses against makachev and makachev then uh, becomes the champion um and he would then maybe go on to fight Connor if that is something that is being discussed. But does he still get pay-per-view points? And I was wondering the same thing for guys like Fiziev and, and so on that wanted to fight Connor. Like, they are under contract. Like, does the UFC just basically... I mean, yeah, I don't know. How do they approach this? Because it seems to be a really bad deal for them to give additional money to someone that is under contract that has a specific deal because there's not i mean you could just ask any random fighter if they want to fight connor and they will just say yes um so i was just wondering mike how that works and uh yeah that's all thank you yeah i mean
2: you kind of just hit the nail on the head that's i mean there's a reason why everybody wants to fight connor because of the points and you get pieces of different things. And Connor does a million plus pay-per-views every time he fights. doesn't matter who he fights. He's getting a million buys. That's just who he is. So yeah. I mean, Connor's the ultimate money fight right now. 1,000, just like in the, in the boxing world. Why do you think like every non UFC fighter is calling out Jake Paul? Because his it's a, it's money. There's so much money involved. Like, they're not getting, like... Like, Jake Paul Anderson Silva is not going to do, like, a million pay-per-view buys. But it's going to do fine. But it's going to sell out that arena. People are going to be interested. It'll do well across the board in other ways. But Anderson's going to get a big, fat payday. And that's why everybody wants to fight this guy. Because it's a big, fat payday. Because of the money involved. The interest. Everything that's attached to it. So... That's really what the money fight is. I mean, there's certain stars in the sport. There aren't many anymore. But again, there's really... The UFC doesn't need quote-unquote money fights all that much anymore because the brand is just doing so well that every pay-per-view is going to surpass what it has done over the last couple of years. Like UFC 278 on paper was fine. It wasn't a great card on paper, but I'm sure it did very well on pay per view because of the UFC. So, yeah, everybody wants to fight Connor because if you get pay per view points, it's a lot of freaking money. And it's got to do a million. You get incentives. So, if pay per view sells like 250000 you get this much. Or if it, you know 400000 this much, 600000 this much million you get this much like on top of your already pay. so that's why the money fight era is just kind of weird but i don't think like i think that era has kind of it's not gone away but it's definitely fizzled out a little bit because the brand is just so strong right now and connor doesn't fight all that often he misses lots of time in between so you have to figure out other ways to to make your moves You know what I mean? All right, let's go to Jay, and then we'll go to Ani.
4: Jay, hello. Hey, Mike. What's up, man? So I'm pretty sure I asked you this question a couple weeks ago, but I think it's even better now since Jose Aldo uh, retired. But do you think the UFC should push back their uh, Brazil pay-per-view card in January in order for it to receive its max potential? Because Jose Aldo was a big chunk of that card, I think, in my opinion, for the main card, and now that he's retired – the only two title fights, like right now, they can like book for sure. I'm pretty sure with no problem, are like Moreno and Figgy Four, which is great, and Amanda Nunes at 145 or 35, whichever her preferences. But other than that, there's really not, I would say, that many ranked or really super hyped right now Brazil fighters. There's sure many prospects and young up and covers that they can definitely stack up on the card, but that's for like someone competing for a title shot or someone that's like in. The title contention right now. I think they're really losing out. They can maybe put Hamza and Paulo Costa, like you mentioned before a a couple minutes ago. That might be great, but I just wanted to know, do you think the UFC should push that date back? No. They
2: shouldn't push that date back. I mean, They've been out of that market for so long. The last time they were there was like right when all this craziness started and they were going to cancel the event and they said, you know what, we're gonna move forward, we're just not gonna let anybody in the building. And it was crazy. And they haven't been back since. So no. They have this new deal with Fight Pass over there and the new TV deal and everything. They're not gonna delay that. And they'll be fine. Doesn't matter. Like sometimes it's just like the ambiance of the card that that sells everything. Like even like even the UFC London card. When they went back to London, was that the best card in the world on paper? No, but you had a lot of local fighters, the fans are jacked, and that just made that event so much better. Now, all you gotta do is just put a title on the line and it makes it better. Like the January pay-per-views aren't typically that stacked anyhow, but who knows? Like maybe Oliveira will turn around quick and if he beats Makachev. If you if if you can get Paul Costa, Hamza Shemayev on that card, you don't need much else. That card that fight alone will sell the card, and then if you want to sprinkle like a, a Nunez title fight or obviously if you could do Moreno Figgy four on that one and then you put Costa Hamzat as the featured fight that's you're good to go. you are good to go with those three fights and then you'll obviously put other good matchups on there, a lot of local talent of course, but you, that's a three fight slate right there that's gonna sell a half a million pay-per-views, mostly because of Hamzat and Costa. That will be the big selling point, but you get the two fight, two title fights on top of that. I'm sure the the market will be will be very happy with that. All right, let's go to Ani and then I gotta go. It's almost Bellator time. What's up? Yes
10: actually walking back home from work
2: so but if, okay. if you
10: can hear okay. me it's all right so I mean I can hear everything that I wanted to talk about related to MMA was already covered so I think I'll just give you a piece of advice if that's all right you see I am a, sure I am a pro wrestling fan as well so I was watching uh, the, the way I was watching the uh, professional wrestling was in WWE around 2007 2008 when John Cena Randy Orton all were there And then, uh, towards 2000, you know, starting from UFC 220, I started watching UFC, so I'm a WWE guy, and then became a mixed martial arts guy, and now I've slowly started uh, picking up professional wrestling again. So you know, now when I watch professional wrestling, you know, I think it feels like, do you know how a mixed martial artist would feel if he was watching a mixed martial arts based movie? Does it make sense? Right. so that, That's how it'll feel. So the advice that I have for you is until WWE gets done with the Saudi Arabia card, don't watch it, please for any for, for the love of God, do not watch the product until the Saudi Arabia card is done because, you know, WWE tends to do things that will actually insult your intelligence. I suggest you keep watching uh, AEW because if you like, I mean, what do you like? Do you like action or do you like the storyline bit of professional wrestling? From the little bit that you watched, what did you like?
2: I mean, it's a, it's like a mix, you know. It's it's a mix of the two. Like I, I. Uh, anything else you want to add? then I'll I'll, I'll talk about all of
10: this. I want to add a little bit, if that's all right. So that's what I'm saying. So sure, I, 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 I want you to watch AEW more than WWE, at least at the moment, because. Um, until the Saudi Arabia show, the WWE is going to be a bit stale, because the Saudi Arabia show is just about money. Like they, they are bringing in Logan Paul for crying out loud, right? You know, I still feel that there that is a spot wasted, and someone like a Kevin Owens or someone, uh, you know, a better wrestler could have enjoyed that spotlight. But it's it's all right. So I I just say that do not watch WWE until then. Maybe you can get the Saudi Arabia show. It's all right, but do not watch the weekly episodic television shows of WWE until the Saudi Arabia show. And make sure you're checking out the one that comes in November, the Survivor Series. I think it's going to be really action-packed, and I think it's going to be nice. But I would be leaning towards uh, AEW, if I if because I'm a hardcore mixed martial arts guy. And uh, uh, if I want to you know, uh, keep a balance between pro wrestling and mixed martial arts, I would pick AEW over WWE any day. That's all I
2: have. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I I don't know how how old you are, Ani, but uh, I'm a little bit older. Uh, I basically grew up in, like, the two greatest versions of pro wrestling there ever was. I grew up in the, like, late 80s. Hulkamadia was running Wild Brother, Ultimate Warrior, like, Bret Hart, all that stuff. And then I got to go through the the Montreal screw job and the uh, the rise of Stone Cold and the Rock and like the attitude era where i mean everything was i went to freaking wrestlemania 14 where steve austin won the the wwf title for the first time like that was the shit it was awesome and then you know 2000s come around and it just starts to go down they do the the stupid angle with you know, the invasion, which killed everything. And these different promotions have tried to do different things and it just hasn't been great. Vince just booked, like, crap. And, like, now it's starting to, like, turn. And, like, just when AEW got momentum, they're, I don't know. The, the whole organization is run like shit. Their executive vice presidents are going into locker rooms and attacking wrestlers because they said something at a press conference about them. Like, it's just falling apart. I do like AEW. I like MJF. He's great. Uh, I watched the whole show on Wednesday. It was fine. It's just, here's what drives me the craziest about AEW Chris Jericho is 137 years old. This dude should not be beating anybody. And he's just beating everybody. And it pisses me off. Like, it makes no sense that he's getting wins over, I mean, it's fake and all that stuff, but like, Chris Jericho is 137 and he's wrestling like these up and comers that are trying to become stars and they're putting 137 year old man over. Like I don't get it. Like Chris Jericho has to beat everybody. He just kind of like latches on to the hot thing. Now I will say this. Jericho has stepped up the game. Last two weeks have been great. I thought he's had two great matches. I'm glad he won the ring of honor title. now he could put over young talent he could kind of do what Cena did with the U.S. title and all that stuff and have good matches with young fighter young wrestlers and eventually he'll lose the title to Daniel Garcia and that'll be cool but yeah I mean AEW is fine I think the booking is pretty shitty at times but and I think like some of the matches just like every match has to be a friggin six-star match that's like 47 minutes long like just go out there and, like, have a regular match. Like, not everything has to be the Tokyo Dome. Just go in there and, and wrestle and tell stories. That's it. But I don't know. I'm, I'm trying. People keep saying, I'm telling you, you got to try it. You got to try it. And I'm trying to get back into it. Slowly, I'm starting to get a little more positive about it. But there have been a number of AEW shows that I've watched. I've been like, what the hell did I just waste two hours of my life for? Why did I watch that shit? It was horrible. Terrible. But that's it. I got to (laughs) go. This one. Enjoy Bellator, everybody. Get some afternoon MMA. Three of them start in like an hour and 20 minutes. And then the main card starts at 4 p.m. Eastern. So it should be fun. Uh, I'll be back Tuesday. We'll do this again. I'll be back like full force. Getting after it. Vacation will be officially over on Tuesday. And we'll start here and we'll have some damn fun. And that's it. So thank you very much. Enjoy the card. Enjoy the day. Enjoy the weekend. And as always, have a heck of a morning, you crazy animals. Thank you so much.
16: Podcast Network. Canva presents Unexplained Appearances.